4: Wednesday the 12th of September with much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. Dr Gabriel Scali's conclusion that there is no need to establish a commission of investigation into the cervical check scandal was reported widely yesterday, the leak to media outlets ahead of the publication of his report today shocked most people given the way women with cervical cancer who had not been informed that their screens had been wrongly diagnosed, woke yesterday, to learn about this by reading the newspapers. But it was typical of government spin, according to the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin, who said yesterday that everything has to be leaked by this government. Everything is about spin. Spin, 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 he said. The government is obsessed. Fianna Fáil's dilemma is, of course, that the government can choose to spin if that is what it is doing so long as Martin and his party continues to prop it up. Hall Martin's criticism of the government's record on health, housing and homelessness has been stinging but Fianna Fáil has facilitated every government policy over the last three years. This has led to division in the party and calls to pull out of the Confidence and Supply Agreement. No wonder that uh, the party is is at odds with itself and with all of that huffing and puffing and finna fall tut cutting, isn't it a surprise to hear that some people are quite happy with the leadership and the way the party is going, but others such as John McGuinness and Mark McSharry have taken issue with the leadership and John McGuinness has suggested that the party has lost its backbone. We had hoped to start this morning by discussing these issues and others with James Lawless, Fianna Fáil TD for Kildare North, who who I imagine is in Malahide as the rest of the party are for the party's thinking, but has let us down uh, with uh, no explanation and press officers, I understand, trying to track him down at uh, the moment. Uh, But of course, One of the issues that was made clear yesterday by the Fianna Fáil leader was that the party will not be supporting the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy as the Minister for Housing, which I suppose will lead people to conclude that to some degree Fianna Fáil has decided again to support the government and has confidence in Owen Murphy to solve the housing and homelessness crisis and there are other issues, uh, of course, uh, relating to health and uh, the uh, ongoing uh, mental health problems that is continuously raised in the doll by mihol Martin. Uh, but uh, again, there's uh, been no... Uh, pressure as such put on the government, a lot of huff huffing, tut totting, and different things uh, that have been said over a period of time. Well, unfortunately, uh, Fianna Fail uh, have uh, let us down this morning, uh, and uh, we'll try to find out what the problem is there. Uh, we've been calling, I think, over the last uh, twenty five minutes or so, but to no avail. Uh, given that the uh, party is uh, meeting collectively in Malahide, uh, it is a little bit disappointing. Uh, I'm sure uh, there has been no. Option, but a little bit disappointing that a, a spokesperson hasn't been available to the program at this stage of the morning. Let's go to Fergus Finley, the chief executive of Barnardo's. Uh, the now outgoing chief executive of Barnardo's. Good morning to you, Fergus Finley.
5: Now I know
4: where I am on early, Michael. Uh, 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 yes, my my apologies to you as well.
5: No Uh,
4: um, As I say, uh, we uh, were expecting to have a Fianna Fáil spokesperson on earlier, uh, but uh, that hasn't happened. Uh, But good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, as you come to the end of your tenure uh, uh, at the top of an agency that uh, you've... uh, Being somewhat disappointed, I take it from your article yesterday in the Irish Examiner because I think at one stage you were suggesting that you'd get to a point, perhaps tongue in cheek or wishful thinking, that you'd get to a point in time where we wouldn't have the problems with child poverty, consistent poverty and the lack of opportunity that children experience in this country. But in fact, the problem has got worse.
5: Well, yes, I used to joke, Michael, um, uh, that uh, my ambition was to make everyone in Bernardo's redundant. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if every child in Ireland was getting the staff, they needed us, and if all of us could be the parents we needed to be, um, that an organisation like us wouldn't need to exist. But sadly, we do. And, and uh, <coughs> while on the one hand I'm really proud of the fact that Bernardo's is reaching more kids than it ever did, and And I hope we're reaching kids at a level of quality and, uh, you know, making a positive impact on their lives. Um, It is very shaming in some ways that the level of consistent poverty in Ireland is still so high and that children are still not getting the chances that they deserve and need.
4: And you're talking about fundamental rights, aren't you, when it comes uh, to the children of this country, all of whom have a constitutional right to be treated equally?
5: Well, they they do have a constitutional right to be treated equally, and they have a constitutional right, for example, to a free primary education. And we won't go into that debate. We know mm-hmm. how expensive primary education is. But I, I'm I'm also talking about um, you know what, and we'll forgive the jargon, I hope. But if you if you live in consistent poverty in Ireland, it means that you and your family live below sixty percent of average medium inc- median income. But But it also means that you experience a number of what are called uh, deprivation factors in your life. Mm. And deprivation factors are things like not enough protein in your diet, not enough warm clothes, no good shoes in wet weather, um, no treats, uh, no birthday parties, uh, and so on. And, And sadly, around one in nine of our children still experience all those kind of deprivation factors uh, and live in families whose incomes are very low.
4: And that would and define them as being in consistent poverty is it?
5: That's the technical definition of consistent poverty. And and I've always tended to stick to that because it's an official figure. I can't I think be accused of making it up. Mm. Um, uh, it's an official figure published by the government um, uh, and, and I think it's one of the great shaming figures. It hasn't really changed that much. It's it, Dropped a little bit in the good years, mm-hmm. um, climbed a bit in in uh, in the recession years, uh, and has remained stubbornly high during what we call our recovery.
4: Okay, uh, and, and of course,
5: and of course, you have to add to that now um, the thing that certainly didn't exist at all when I started working in Bernardo's which is between three and 4,000 children who have no home at all.
4: All right, and uh, I'm sure figures will always be contested. Uh, they were contested to some degree on this programme yesterday by the Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty. If you bear with me for a moment, we'll just hear a little bit of that conversation.
6: The 85,000 children that are living in consistent poverty are 85,000 too many, but the number is slowly coming down, but it's nowhere good enough. I'm never going to be able to achieve the
4: 2020 target. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read Fergus Finlay's article in the Examiner this morning, Regina Doherty, but he said uh, that uh, there was uh, this target uh, of halving uh, the number of children who live in consistent poverty from 150,000. Taking 75,000 out of poverty was a pretty daunting figure, but the tax strategy group has estimated that in order to do the same now, uh, and half the current figure of 190,000, some 95,000 children will have to be lifted out. Uh, So that's 40,000 more uh, than would have been the case. So instead of, of halving it, you've increased it.
6: No, the actual, I'm, I haven't read Ferguson's article this morning. Um, the, the latest report is that we have 120,000 children living in consistent poverty according to the CSO and the ESRI. Um, the target is actually to take two-thirds of those children out of consistent poverty by 2020.
4: All right, so that's Regina Doherty. Yes, Fergus Finley is on the line with us now, and I don't want to bamboozle people with uh, statistics, uh, but uh, there does seem to be some argument about the level uh, of consistent poverty.
5: Well, let me accept all of Regina Doherty's figures. I mean, we could argue about them until we're doing the
4: case.
5: Mm. Um, I was quoting a group of very, very sober and conservative civil servants who make up the the. Are rabble-rousing, I I would have thought. Um, And and they say that you have to lift more children out of consistent poverty than you did when the target was originally set. But let's assume that the minister is absolutely 100% correct uh, when she says there's 120,000 children in consistent poverty. Let's assume that. Why aren't we ashamed of that? Mm. Why are we saying um, that that represents some kind of an improvement or some kind of... um, you know, achievement um, by, by our society. I don't blame individual governments for these things. I, I know ministers do their damnedest, and I know they have a, a, an endless set of conflicting priorities. Um, you know, we're, we're struggling with things like Brexit and all that kind of thing. So I'm not in the business of just attacking ministers per se. I, I think Ireland as a whole, though, can do better, um, and, and needs to do better. And we need to focus on um, you know, some Some real stuff um, and and the way the way I see kids I, and I see kids all the time um, I see happy kids I see kids full of mm. excitement I see kids facing life full of potential, but I also see kids that I know are going to grow up um, uh, in, in, uh, in ways that are not good for any of us but the kid who is doing his junior search t- are doing his Leaving is never going to be the kid who's tearing up the neighbourhood or terrorising old people in the neighbourhood. Mm. The kid who drops out of school early because he didn't get, or she didn't get, a good start, um, and and that's unfortunately kind of were hardwired in that in that sort of way. And there's a, the an answer.
4: economic argument for yeah. that, and we'll come to those figures uh, that you've been highlighting in, in terms of the. Uh, monetary cost, uh, but for the children who are getting their junior search results today, because you mentioned uh, the exams, I, I suppose most of them would know the words of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And this was a, a very touching story you were telling yesterday.
5: Well, uh, it is about how uh, um, I met. I have the great pleasure uh, once a year, um, well, several times a year in, in December, of um uh, impersonating a man in a big red suit. Um I, I have my own suit and I fill in when he's not available um at our project. And um I was there uh in Thingless in at a project a couple of years ago and the kids decided that they wanted to sing Twinkle, Twinkle, twinkle star to start a Santa Claus. And one little boy stood with his hands in his pockets. He was four or five and he stood with his hands in his pockets staring at the floor and I thought maybe Santa Claus had upset him or something. Um, and I asked the project leader what the problem was, and she said, he doesn't know the words. I'd never met a four- or five-year-old boy who didn't know the words, and so I I dug into it, I made a lot of inquiries, and I discovered that this was a little boy who'd never had a lullaby sung to him at night, who'd never had a bedtime story told to him at night, because he was the child of parents to whom that had never happened either. Uh, He was the child of parents who you know, had never been parented themselves and and didn't know how. Mm. And I know, I know, and the science will tell you, uh, and again, I'm sorry if if, if I'm going jargon, I know that that's a little boy who, simply because of that, simply because of that gap in his development, is very, very likely to start school behind and, as a consequence, very likely to drop out of school early, much more likely than his peers to get involved in iffy behaviour, perhaps join a gang, mm. have a brush with the law, and very likely to raise kids who'll never have a lullaby sung to them.
4: And most and likely impoverished uh, as well, yes, living yes. in poverty Depends, or consistent Depends. poverty, possibly living in a emergency accommodation, possibly but, hungry at times, not getting all of the meals that we would like to see and people what some get. Some
5: people might call a drain on the state, you know, somebody mm.
4: who's
5: dependent on social welfare and. and uh, um, uh, you know, uh, so on, and, and somebody who is much less likely to live a life of independence. Um, and there are, according to the Minister, 120,000 such children in Ireland. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're letting them grow up in ways that are going to cost us.
4: And if yes. they end up in Mount Joy, uh, I mean, just to cut to the chase here, and the uh, most... Uh, shocking possibility for them in their lives, but if they end up in prison there's a significant cost to that and you've been comparing that to the cost of giving them a good start.
5: It, it costs about uh, uh, over a two year period um, a, 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 an intensive high quality early years programme whether it's operated by Bernardo or anybody else costs about 12000 per child um, over, over a two year period. Now it, that doesn't guarantee that the child will be a success in life, but it increases that child's chances enormously. The comparative cost is 100000 for an adult in Mountjoy. That's what it costs to an adult in jail in Ireland. And and it makes no sense to, that we wouldn't be prepared to invest the, the small amount that is required in making sure that every child gets a decent start um, uh, as compared with the enormous cost. Of repairing damage later.
4: Okay, and uh, Bernardo's has been there for so many thousands of uh, children over all of the years uh, that you've presided over the organisation. Uh, I think uh, people will appreciate uh, the work uh, that you have uh, done uh, and hope that it, it continues and at uh, a better rate, uh, as oh, it, you say.
5: It will really mm-hmm. continue. Oh, I'm I promise you it will continue. I'm very proud of the people who work on Bernardo's and their commitment is, is absolutely total to. The children and families we work with, and and we're we're you know we're a lucky organisation. We get a mm. huge amount of support. I, 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 you know, we even even at times when state funding is cut, and um, the public rally around our work, and and we get an enormous amount of decency and generosity from the Irish people to to keep the work going. Mm.
4: it's always been a, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you indeed for oh, talking Michael, to me. Oh, Michael, Michael,
5: I'm not gone away. I'm not there. Oh, I, I, I know that. Yes, I've but so <laughs> many people say to me. <laughs> You're going now. I'm, I'm going to reinvent myself in some fashion and, mm. and I hope we'll speak again many times. And
4: uh, I know you were telling many people yesterday that uh, you don't intend to run for the presidency, at least not this time around. But, uh, I'm, we, having,
5: I'm having a lapel badge made <laughs> um, and, and it's going to say Aura
4: 2025. OK, very good, very good. Uh, but listen, thank you for speaking to us this morning and in particular Thanks for taking mind. the call uh, much earlier than anticipated and uh, for stepping in for us uh, in the way that you did. Uh, a pleasure as always. So uh, That's Fergus Finlay the outgoing chief executive of Bernardo's Ireland. Michael
3: Michael Reid on on LMFM.
4: The IFA is uh, calling uh, for rural crime to be tackled and for more guardy to protect uh, people in rural communities following a very violent and unprovoked attack on a farmer in North Dublin. Richard Kennedy is uh, the deputy president of the IFA. He joins us now. This was the third such attack in recent times, Richard.
7: That's right, in North Dublin. And uh, look, it's a a very serious situation. No, there are... I mean, and and there are attacks all over the country and there there is intimidation all over the country. And, uh, you know, the farmer that was attacked recently in Dublin, you know, there's a lot of credit due to him to put himself out there, you know, to show what is is happening in the countryside.
4: Okay, and tell us a a little bit about what happened to this particular farmer.
7: Well, this this man... um, there were people travelling through his land uh, with dogs frightening livestock, and uh, he 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 went to let them know that uh, you know that, he, that they shouldn't be there, and he he was he was struck, and it was look it was within a hair's breadth of being a murder, but look at thanks to God he he recovered, and there was a neighbour who came on who helped him, and I think look it has been well articulated as to you know as to you know what can happen in these situations, but um, I I. Look, I'm a farmer myself. I understand and I know what what it is like when you when your livestock are being disturbed and when you know people are unwelcome and don't, you don't want them on the land. You know, mm. many farmers in the main um, facilitate people who want to walk through the land or you know go and see something uh, by consultation. And I think that's fine. But look, it, this is mm. this is a real this is a real worry for people. And what's most worrying of all is the fear that you know that um, if you take them on that if you take these people on, that you can have retaliation, and you, look, we go to look at cows in the middle of the night, mm. you know, three o'clock in the morning, it can be quite worrying as to, you know, you, you're entitled to walk
4: out on your own farmyard. Of course, uh, uh, but not possible, obviously, for some of uh, the people in North Dublin, uh, that was obviously a very serious assault, another assault on a, a separate farmer who was also threatened at knife point, I understand.
7: Yeah, there, we, we have we have a number of examples of those, you mm. know, and they're the, they're the extreme ones, and uh, there's, you know, look, there's something going You know, the people are being very seriously injured, but it's the fear that's generated as well, Michael. You know, the mm. fear that's being generated among among farmers and the fear that because you're so helpless, and, uh, you know, we, we don't have the number of guards around the countryside that we need. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that, look, needs to be dealt with because uh, we need more patrols, we need guards of visibility, uh, we need guards on. on you know, travelling the countryside in their cars and to to you know to be to be talking to people and to build up a bit of information so that we all can feel safe going to the gardens because that, that is a, that is a worry for us.
4: And uh, another farmer run over by a van. Did they drive the van at him?
7: They drove the van at oh him. Yeah, God. he, he mm-hmm. you know. But it's these mm-hmm. are things. I, the, they are three examples. Mm-hmm. And at the man yesterday, I mean, he, he you know, it's difficult to come out and to. Bunch of photograph in the paper after getting a, b- a beating mm. like that, and uh, it's hard for people to do that. And we, I would, I would have great sympathy with that man, and I think he, he was, he was, you know, he was great credit and great courage for him to come out and to. You know, prepared to put himself out there for the good of us all now. For, mm. you know, that's, that's well, that's is, the
4: point, you know? isn't it? Yeah. 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 And that perhaps there will be action on foot of him going public like well,
7: that. The, yeah. that is it. Mm. And yeah. that, you know, there's, there's no argument about, to, mm. you know, nobody can say it didn't happen, it did happen, and these are the circumstances, the witnesses are there. Hopefully the, the Gardaí will, will get the people responsible, but one way or another, I think, look, action needs to be taken on this.
4: And you're hoping to hold a, a public meeting in the coming days, and you'd like to hear from people I'm yeah, sure well, in
7: between, we, Yeah, well, we uh, already look, at, about three weeks ago, we did have a meeting with, with some of the Gardaí, the senior Gardaí, mm. um, we, did, we did speak to them because of, of this, of our concern about this. So we will have a public meeting, and look, the public meetings are fine, but I think yeah. action needs to be taken in terms of putting the gas out, out on the, on the, on the, in the countryside. And, and look, the there does need to be more gas in the country now because um, there are a lot of gas. We hear all the time of, you know, gas coming out from being from Templemore. Mm. But basically, what happens there is, you know nearly half of what comes out from Templemore, are only replacing pe- the
4: people that are gone you know. Well you make the case and very strongly given the shocking stories that you've been telling us uh, this morning Richard thank you indeed for joining us Richard welcome, Kennedy everybody. is the Deputy President of the Irish Farmers Association now Wednesday morning and the local papers are all available to you and Marie Kearns is here to tell us what's on the front pages Marie uh, we'll start in Dundalk
8: Yes, we'll go to the Dundalk Democrat first, Michael. Anger at closure of Busy Road is the headline of the Dundalk Democrat and it refers to the news that Hazelwood Avenue in Bay State in the town is to close for 10 weeks beginning next Wednesday, September 19th Mm. to facilitate works by Irish Water. And while residents understand that the long overdue sewage works needs to be done, they're annoyed at both the timing of the closure and the lack of notice. Mm.
4: And it's a long time as well. I'm sure it'll cost... uh, uh, a lot of disruption in the uh, immediate vicinity and possibly further uh, into the town. The leader has a, a somewhat different slant though.
8: That's right. They're reporting on the same story but as you say with a different slant reporter Paul Byrne writes of a spat between two local councillors Maeve Yore and Rory Who, after the former claimed that the Sinn Féin councillor is trying to take credit for work she has done in relation to the upgrading of sewage works in the estate. The story says the chancellor of work, who released a statement on Thursday, criticising Irish Water for the failure to notify residents while also claiming that he had raised the issue at the monthly municipal meeting in Carlingford with council officials. According to councillor Yor, the story says, she was angry after reading the Sinn Féin councillor's statement as it seemed like he was trying to take credit for all the work she had done on this issue. But in response, the Sinn Féin councillor stated that he will continue to raise important local issues and work for the people of Dundalk.
4: Housing and homelessness and vacant properties issues right across the country. Dundalk, uh, no different than the rest of the country, but Louth County Council is a shining light, apparently.
8: Well, that's right. According to the front page of uh, the Dundalk Argus, the paper's reporting that Louth has become a leading light in the development of abandoned houses under the compulsory purchase order scheme. According to latest figures obtained by the newspaper, Olivia Ryan writes that a pilot scheme launched in the second half of 2015 has to date resulted in 92 dwellings across the entire county brought into use for social housing as a result of CPOs by the Council.
4: OK, so from compulsory orders to repossession and from Louth to Meath.
8: Yes, a very grim story on the front page of the Meath Chronicle. We will not let vultures take our land is the headline and it's highlighting the plight of a Meath farming family who's fighting the sale of their lands by a vulture fund that bought their debts from, debts from Ulster Bank. Journalist John Dunne, who reports that the McCann brothers bought 38 acres a decade ago, with security of 20 acres from their family farm provided to Ulster Bank. But now the Vulture Fund wants to sell the 20 acres of their home farm along with the additional 38 acres to fulfil a debt of €800,000. The story reports that the IFA is leading a protest to prevent the sale of the land while negotiations are ongoing.
4: Okay, we go to Drogheda and uh, the Drogheda Independent paying tribute on its front page.
8: That's right. Uh, The death of local businessman Gerard Lockery is covered extensively in the Drogheda Independent this week. He's a man who gave much to the local community, particularly through his involvement in rugby, and there's lots of papers inside. A special report in the paper this week by Alison Cummins also caught my eye, and it looks at the implications of Drogheda Municipal Council's decision last week to decrease the cost of pay parking by 20 cents. With concern, Michael, that workers could lose the benefit of free parking as a direct result of this decision. It will leave an estimated shortfall of €250,000 in Loud County Council's budget and increasing the property tax is also being mooted, says Alison Cummins, as a way to claw back some of the money.
4: The Drogheda leader is uh, taking a, a look at uh, the next home for the g- county grounds.
8: That's right. This is a story we obviously covered on LMFM this week. But the Drogheda leader, they're they're focusing obviously on the move of the county grounds to this uh, 12,500-seater stadium to be built beside DKIT. Um, but it, it's also reported that had been mooted before this decision was made, uh, that of the possibility of locating the county stadium at that 68-er site between the termin Road and ballin which is earmarked for municipal pit- pitches. And it quotes a prominent local GAA club official in Drogheda saying the smart thing to do is to sell the Oratley's ground and build a new 6,000-seater ground in Drogheda half-owned by Loud GAA and half-owned by the Oratley's, we would own the ground 100% and not have to share it with other rival sports.
4: Okay, interesting stories. Uh- I'm sure some of our listeners might want to comment on some of uh, those stories. And I say that because you're coming back to us in I a few indeed. minutes' time with some of the comments that have come to us already this morning. Or if you want to comment on those stories or, indeed, if there's uh, another issue that you want to raise with us, you can ring Marie or Maggie now on eighteen fifty-seven one five nine five eight, or text us on 086 1 Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, Fianna Fáil has uh, finally managed uh, to find a replacement uh, spokesperson for his uh, Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee is on uh, the line. Many thanks to you for stepping in uh, this morning and thank you for joining us from the party's thinking in Malahide. What's the mood in the party there this morning? Are you one of the people who buys into the theory that Fianna Fáil has lost its backbone or do you believe uh, that you should continue to support uh, the government of spin-spins spin?
1: Good morning, Michael. I wouldn't support either of those propositions, to be honest. I, I think we provided stable um, leadership when the country desperately needed it. There was no clear winner of the last general election. So we entered negotiations. We didn't get enough support to form a government, but we facilitate, facilitated a government being formed when, when the country desperately needs it. Well, so you that's, didn't that's look that's for support, did you? At. Sorry?
4: You didn't look for support to form a government, did you?
1: Oh we did yeah we entered um talks with various independents and various other mm-hmm. groups and we just didn't have enough support there to form government
4: But you rejected the possibility of forming a coalition with Sinn Fein Indeed yeah. yeah So you 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 had the potential to form a government and chose not to uh, and we instead to, no, and instead, to instead to decided to facilitate the, the government that your party leader now says uh, does nothing but spin spin spin
1: we had the, the potential to form a government with other groupings within the Iraqis and unfortunately they decided to support yeah, that, um, Fine in the position. We, we got 45 seats, got 50 in the general election. Mm. There was no clear winner on that. The, they could form a, a government if we abstained on the election of Taoiseach and, and entered into a confidence and supply, which is quite common a, across Europe. Mm. I think we're just coming to terms with it here in Ireland. That's the position. It is a very, very new realm for us. There has been a few um, minor hiccups along the road. But I think that that the people of Ireland are... Satisfied that mm. we have a
4: government. Well, I think we're saying now, the same thing in a different way, and that uh, you uh, are, are agreeing in effect that you decided not to form a government or not to try to attempt to form a, a government. We, uh, we you did, didn't. You didn't, did didn't look it, at all we, of the we, options. In fact, we, you rejected made, one of the options. We made um, we
1: made very serious attempts. We rejected one of the options. Yes,
4: you, uh, that, that's um, the point I'm making. So, one, in the meantime, one of the
1: options. Yeah. There were several options.
4: Okay, okay but in the, the meantime, you facilitate the government of spin, spin, spin. Do you have confidence in Owen Murphy to deliver the? This uh, uh, affordable housing scheme that you're proposing.
1: Well, that's why we're proposing it. We we want it delivered upon. I don't think it's it's about personalities. It's not about own Murphy, and the government signed up to our terms and conditions in relation to the confidence and supply arrangement, and we hope that they will deliver upon it.
4: But you obviously have confidence in own Murphy to do the job.
1: It's it's not about personalities, Michael. In fairness, it's about the the delivery of housing. And I think putting forward motions uh, won't actually build houses. People want um, real delivery upon these commitments. And Mm. whether Owen Murphy is there or not is irrelevant. They need houses. And having a motion and getting rid of a minister and all of this crack... Isn't well, not
4: well, one house. You're, you're, you're absolutely right because it comes back to exactly the same conversation we've been having. Because if you were to support the confidence of no motion, it most likely would bring down the government. Uh, of fall would probably lose seats uh, and would only. Um, have... Why to, uh, would we lose seats? Uh, well, we lose? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at, uh, at the polls, uh, you're not doing pretty well. you the only option. You we would... wouldn't
1: even if we took those polls as, as gospel. We wouldn't in fact see a, a loss of seats and I think you'll be very much surprised when we do have an election that we would be far ahead of those polls. I'm on the ground knocking on doors in mm. North County Dublin But the only option of forming a reflective.
4: government uh, the only way of building houses would be to form a government and the only option of doing that would be to uh, seek well, a coalition either with Fine Gael or or with Sinn Féin.
1: Michael, we're not having an election. I don't know why we're having this conversation. We're talking about the thinking that we had in Malahide, in in which we we discussed the budget. We discussed um,
4: uh, yes, the, the but uh, I mean, but but the thing, the whole the whole purpose, the whole the whole. I know you
1: want to talk about. Um, an election and I know a lot oh
4: of no Christians I don't no no I don't no I was talking like I was talking about building election. houses no I was talking no I was ta- talking about content building content houses content uh, and like what, what, sells what sells papers is publicity what sells papers is publicity and and the idea of a think is to get publicity and if Fianna Fáil can't uh, organise a media interview you'd wonder if they're capable of running the country
1: I'm on the radio with you now, and yes, I was I very willing to come forward. Oh, and, and I do thank, I do, th- I do thank, you for stepping yeah, in so for the spokesperson the who order
4: wasn't order available at quarter past two. nine.
1: And I did, mm. I did plenty of interviews yesterday, as did my party leader and, and many other members of my party. But we we have a thinking to discuss among ourselves where we're going for the, the following doll and, and Shannon term. We invite the media along, but it's not a media event.
4: Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment because we're out of time in the short time that we had. We thank you for stepping in and for giving us your time this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Fianna Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee.
3: Michael Reed
4: on LMFM. Now, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
8: Good morning, Michael, and to all our listeners. Fianna fall, criticises Fine Gael on one hand and then supports them on the other, says Gronier from Drogheda. So, what does the party expect the electorate to think? You can't have it all your own way, hmm. she says. Jim from Navin texts in and says has Micheál Martin no backbone despite one scandal after another, the most recent being the leak of info regarding the cervical uh, c- cancer um, check misdiagnosis and then housing and health and all the problems with that. He feels that he's just keeping Fine Gael in power as Jim quotes it, as the country goes down the tubes.
4: Okay, well Fine Fáil saying it's uh in the best position it can be in to see its policies included in government decisions and that's by facilitating the minority government.
8: Mary phoned in and she's wondering what is it about all of these think-ins, Michael? Mm. Do the the political parties think that we've forgotten about the problems that we are experiencing in this country it just seems like a load of nonsense to me
4: Hmm. i suppose they're preparing for the next dull and agreeing amongst themselves what are the priority issues and uh, as i was uh, discussing with senator clifford lee there it's an opportunity for each of uh, the parties uh, to highlight their position on these and get some publicity
8: Brendan from Dundalk uh, commenting on Trump not coming and he says so Trump is not coming no loss but he wonders about the fly by night Uh, merchandisers who were probably in the process of ordering their t-shirts (laughs) etc and he says uh, at least uh, President Higgins or Gallagher or whoever the President is will not have to shake the hand of the most unpopular American President of all time
4: Okay well you know (laughs) it's a half glass half full uh, 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 incident uh, in that uh, some people would say that it was an opportunity Mm. had he come here to voice opposition to some of uh, American foreign policy in particular.
8: Kevin from Dundalk was listening to our newspaper review and in relation to the county grounds he feels it makes more sense to move the grounds to Dundalk because Dundalk is in the middle of the county and there's plenty of parking around the proposed site and he says it would be a more central location.
4: All right, hold that thought for a moment if you would. Uh, Marie, let's uh, go to the Free Legal Advice uh, Centres which published its annual report uh, this week making the case uh, for legal aid to be made to, to people facing home repossessions uh, by financial institutions or local authorities uh, for that matter and we're joined by Eilish Barry who's uh, the chief executive of FLAC. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Good you morning. Uh, gave information uh, to almost 26,000 people in the course of last year.
9: That's right um, FLAC is, is an independent legal rights body and we have a, a few areas of work. We operate a telephone information line, we run a nationwide network of legal advice clinics at 66 locations around the country where volunteer lawyers provide free legal advice. We take on some a small number of cases which may have impact beyond the individ, in, individual and we engage in research and advocacy. And we also operate a public interest law project. And what that does is it tries to match community and voluntary groups with legal advice that's provided by the private by the private lawyers acting in private practice pro bono. So during 2017, uh, over 25,000 people received legal information from our phone line or advice from our uh, clinics.
4: Mm. And some of their situations uh, more uh, common than others. Uh, Perhaps uh, you tell us uh, about uh, a story in County Louth and uh, Constantine Rostas. We did talk about this on uh, the programme before when uh, Flack took his case uh, to the High Court uh, against Louth County Council. uh, And uh, you highlight this in your annual report as well.
9: Yeah, that's right. That was one of the cases and we were working uh, closely with people on the ground but that it was a case that concerned a homeless um, a man who was very seriously ill who was refused emergency accommodation uh, the applicant was a new citizen who had come to work in Ireland in, and he'd been living here for a, a number of years and he became extremely ill in 2016 and was diagnosed with cancer and he had other uh, very serious problems with his hearing and sight and although he was so ill and he couldn't work, uh, he wasn't deemed to qualify for social welfare and he would no source of income and he was left destitute. So Flack instituted proceedings in the High Court and um Uh, The case was settled on the basis that he would be provided with emergency accommodation. By the time the the case came on, he was actually in hospital because he was so ill, but it was settled on the basis that when he'd be discharged, he would be given emergency accommodation, and, and he was.
4: Mm, and he was and I think that's the point point. Uh, and justice was served uh, as such uh, in the conclusion uh, of uh, that successfully with the assistance of FLAC but it highlights how uh, on occasion people can't afford that legal representation and that might be an extreme example but you're suggesting that if people are in a situation where they face their homes being repossessed they've obviously got financial problems and need assistance.
9: Yes and what we're what we're seeing is that there's a lack of clarity as to whether people are entitled to legal aid or not and um, there are some Exceptions in the legal aid legislation in, in relation to rights and disputes over rights and interests over land, and then the legal aid board can refuse you legal aid if you don't have a full defence in your case. Now, we believe if you're in court and you're facing like something very serious, like having your family home repossessed by a financial institution, or or if it's where you're living in local authority accommodation, and um, that you you shouldn't. It's such a there's such a power imbalance in those cases that, and it can have such devastating consequences for the uh, families involved and for society if they end up homeless. And, and there's such an imbalance of power that we believe that at the end of the day you should have representation in those cases, obviously, if you, if, if you, if you don't have means. Now, the state has introduced an Awalia scheme for people in deep arrears. And we welcomed that, but it provides you with a, a consultation and there may be a duty solicitor in court, but at the end of the day, that duty solicitor isn't your solicitor and can't represent you. So that, that was one mm. of the issues that we were uh, anxious that, that should be, should be resolved.
4: Yeah, and is uh, there a lottery of sorts in terms of which court you might appear in front of or which judge you might appear in front of?
9: Well... Uh, in terms of mortgage arrears and repossessions, it isn't so much a lottery. We're, what we're seeing is that the court's hands are tied in terms of what they can do if in cases where a person can't afford to uh, repay the, uh, the money outstanding. So that's why we're also calling.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash
9: For There's a bill that uh, has been introduced, the uh, Courts Land and Conveyancing Law Reform Bill, which gives the, which if which enacted would give the court greater flexibility in, in what, what orders it could make, and it could look at a whole range of factors from the age of the person before them, the family circumstances, Uh, uh, whether the person had disabilities, whether the financial institution complied, there's a code of practice in relation to mortgage arrears, whether the, the financial institution had complied with that. So that is something that we're anxious would be implemented and would give the courts a greater degree of flexibility
4: Mm. than than they have. Just uh, briefly, because we are uh, very tight on time for the reasons uh, this morning, tell us about uh, social welfare payments uh, to the under-26s. This this has been seen as an injustice of sorts uh, because it's uh, discriminatory on the grounds of age. uh, But you're suggesting that this can lead to homelessness.
9: Well, we certainly believe it puts people at who... The, the rationale that we hear, though we've never seen any justification for it, is that people under twenty six seem to need some sort of incentive to get into work, and that and that they are supported by uh, by their family. Um, but what we feel, what we feel and see in cases that come before us is that um, it's particularly uh, it, it would put people under twenty six who are in very unsupported circumstances, are isolated or not living at home or don't have support around them at risk of homelessness if they can't pay the rent, if, if they have nowhere to live, if they don't have a job. Um, and it puts people who are already homeless, we, we, we can't see the justification for that at all. I mean, you have a situation which if you're... 66, you'll get the full rate of, of job seekers allowance um, or supplementary welfare, which is €198. Euro. If you're under 24, you'll only receive 107 um, uh, uh, just over €107. Euro. But you could be 26 and not homeless, and you could be 24 and homeless. So we feel that that's something that really needs to be resolved. Mm
4: and you uh, will help people uh, with uh, different uh, uh, areas uh, not just uh, in terms of housing and homeless, uh, different uh, aspects of law, whether that's employment law or, or family law issues that they may have as well uh, and you can be contacted through FLAC.ie. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment Eilish, thanks uh, indeed for joining us. Eilish Barry is the Chief Executive of FLAC, the Free Legal Advice Centre. Now let's go back to some more of your comments. Marie, what else do you have for us?
8: Well Michael, Seamus McDonough from the Workers' Party phoned in just to ask could we mention that they are launching their campaign for public housing tomorrow night in Kells in the Resource Centre at 8 o'clock and it's open to all members of the public to go along to that but staying with Kells I contacted Mead County Council for a response to a phone call that I got from a listener on Monday who um, highlighted the fact that he met with friends in Kells on Saturday afternoon, all travelling from other areas, but that the pay parking machines in the area where they were trying to park were out of order and the one in Beckett Square only took plastic. He said because they had seen the traffic warden out and about earlier, they were afraid to just park their cars without a ticket so they ended up leaving Kells and going to at boy for something to eat and he wanted to highlighted because he felt it's not good for traders in the town. So I contacted Meath County Council who tell me that one of the parking machines was reported out of order on Friday which they reported to the company providing the maintenance service. This repair work was scheduled for Monday. In addition to this, two other machines were reported by the traffic wardens as being out of order on Saturday. These units were also reported for repair and scheduled for repair early this week. So the machine's Uh, Mid-County Canter say should be functioning again. By today, but they did add that they'll be replacing and upgrading the parking machines in Kells in the months ahead and apologise for any inconvenience caused. Okay.
4: I'm sure you wouldn't get a ticket though if uh, the machines are out of order like that, would you? Well, I think mm. they were
8: worried they could have been working maybe in another mm. side of the town, you know the way you're kind of required to go to the nearest machine, yeah. so rather than take that risk, they just left the town okay. altogether. Right. So just wanted to highlight that.
4: Okay, thanks for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. For that matter, if you'd like to add to what's being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Marie and Maggie are on the phones and taking calls as I speak. 1850 715 958 as I say is the telephone number and you can text us today on 086 658. Michael,
3: Michael Reed on, on LMFM FM.
4: The report into the cervical check scandal is due to be published around lunchtime today, but I suppose there was a lot of criticism to say the least a lot of hurt more importantly for the 219 women and uh, their families who woke up yesterday to hear that Dr Scully has said that he doesn't believe uh, there is the need uh, for a commission of investigation perhaps he's right in that view but the way that this was made public by leaks to media outlets is one of uh, the things that has added to the problem with communicating a terrible wrong that was done to so many people. One of those people is Rosie Condra, uh, who's taken a break, I believe, from work to speak to us on the telephone this morning. Uh, And nice to talk to you or to get the chance to talk to you again, Rosie, and thanks for taking your call.
6: Good morning, Mike. How are you?
4: I'm good. What did you make uh, when you heard yesterday uh, that parts of this report about what happened to you and the other women had been leaked to the media?
6: Well, I was at work myself when I got informed and it was through a phone call. Um, uh, Last night, I didn't sleep. I was very distressed about it. As are, I imagine, all the 220 other families affected. Um, I feel that there's a lack of fairness, a lack of decency in how this has been done. And I can't help but feel uh, greatly disrespected. And um, we're all trying to maintain our dignity. And I don't feel that um, this leak um, helped in any way to restore trust. We're trying to build our trust in this mechanism and we haven't had any details of the report and we were respectfully waiting for um, to receive a briefing today which is at lunchtime. time and uh, Dr Scali would have emailed all of us but prior to the email um, we hear that there's a leak and I can't help but feel just like Vicky feeling when she woke up yesterday morning it's a whitewash and as Stephen Teeth has said um, it's very disheartening And Lorraine Walsh, she drew attention to the fact that you have to wonder who leaked it. But I also would wonder, uh, is this um, distraction? Should we not be focusing on what the story is? 221 families have been directly affected. And um, the distress caused by this leak has only added to the stress. We've all been on tender hooks for the past week we communicate within our group and we're trying to reassure each other and what this done was took away some of that reassurance and we still don't have the documents in front of us to read.
4: What do you know about the contents at this stage and I'm not going to ask you to reveal what you know but just in
6: broad all, all terms. All I know the, the only um, thing that I know is the leak that there is, like you said, mm. that there is no need to have uh, a commission review on this. Uh, uh,
4: and what's in the papers today then uh, as well? The failure to communicate is yes. being I criticised. I haven't
6: got and- to read that because, okay. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I haven't got to read it. I'm in my place of work today and it's very busy. You know what our Lady Lewis Hospital is like. And like other people who are within this group directly affected, mm. there are people, there are women going through treatment this morning. Like, just to let that hang in the air mm. women are going through treatment still, chemo, radiation um, I just I, I don't get how anyone leaking the document thought that that was going to be beneficial to us out here in the cold hard face of reality, waiting patiently it was four long hard months waiting and we waited patiently and respectfully and entrusted our weight in Dr Scaly and in the government to treat us with respect and of course it feels disrespectful here on a uh, Wednesday morning
4: and CLI just j- j- just to be clear, uh, Rosie, uh, to people listening to us, when you say you're in Our Lady of Lords, you said you're working at uh, because uh, you're one of the hospital's most valued nurses. Uh, yes. you're, you're not being treated there at the moment. Uh, you're one of the hospital's most valued nurses and you're one of the patient's most valued nurses uh, as well. And many of us uh, would uh, say that. Uh, but uh, you have had treatment. Uh, you're in remission at the moment. Uh, and
6: uh, I'm, I'm cancer-free. cancer-free. I believe yeah. I had uh, extensive surgery um, um, to um, give me a good outcome. But as um, I learned um, recently in May, on the back of Vicky Feeling disclosing um, horror story on air, on the news, I later found out a few weeks that I was involved as well. So, of course, this leak and everything mm. just enhances how I feel and the distress I feel. And did you um, get your medical
4: files yet? Last time I spoke to you, you hadn't received them.
6: No, uh, they have been released, Yeah, Mm, The difficulty seems to be with releasing of the slides.
4: Right. Uh, And uh, I think it was a five-hour meeting, uh, if I heard the reports correctly, that Dr. Scully had with Vicky and Stephen and Lorraine yesterday. Uh, Did uh, you get feedback from that?
6: Well, um, Vicky, Stephen and Lorraine um, respect um, that we all have to be informed today, Mm. that was agreed. So they have um, maintained the confidentiality of the document. So they've allowed us, members of our own group, have afforded us dignity and the courtesy for um, Gabriel Scali to send that document to each of us by email this afternoon, as was agreed.
4: Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, we learned yesterday that he has this view that there's no need to, to establish a commission of investigation. That's not one of his recommendations. There's 50 recommendations that the government or the minister has said uh, he'll look for the government to uh, approve. Uh, uh, other uh, recommendations are reported today, so I take it that there's been further leaks, uh, but... Uh, What uh, do you expect? Uh, Because it was promised that there would be a commission of investigation uh, and there's questions that Dr Scali can't answer. One of the questions he was asked to answer was, what questions should the commission be asking? Uh, And it had been hoped that people would be named and found accountable and responsible, not something that he could be expected to do.
3: I
6: can't really comment on, on the findings until I read it. Um, so I don't have the document. It'll be this afternoon. So it'll be this evening. I'm working here today mm. until the afternoon. So it'll be this evening when I get to sit down and read it. And it's a, a fairly detailed document.
4: Mm. 180 so pages think, are there about yes. Yeah, mm. that
6: won't be read in one sitting. Mm. And I'm going to have to process um, the implications of it uh, in my case uh, as well.
4: But what about the establishment of a commission of investigation? Uh, It's unclear, and perhaps that was the purpose of the leak. It was a very selective leak, and perhaps the purpose Mm. of it was for us to question whether it's necessary before we even get to read the report itself.
6: I I just think, like Vicky Zealand did say, I think it's a whitewash. And um, perhaps uh, my feeling is it's to distract away from what happened. I, in my mind, I'm, like, I had a lot of thoughts racing through my mind uh, mm. last night. We have a very sensitive time where our government are negotiating co- contracts with the labs in America. Um, this year has been a very big year for uh, women's health and rights. and um, Ireland, of course, has a long history where women and young girls haven't been treated very well. And I think the fact that there was a dis- this leak just further um, shows that there's still a lack of proper treatment for women and young girls.
4: I wonder if the leak actually (laughs) makes the case for the Commission of Investigation to be established because, I mean, there's many strands to this. There's what happened Mm. to you and the other women uh, and how that happened, but then there's also the question of how that was covered up, who knew and why it was covered up and what the motivation behind all of that was. Uh, But, uh, you know, you could make the same kind of argument about what happened yesterday, that there was some motivation attached to leaking this.
6: I can't help but feel it was um, divisive and perhaps to distract away uh, from where the focus should be. Um, We're all keenly awaiting answers, hoping that we get answers to what happened so we can explain why we find ourselves Yourselves in this situation. Like, just to bear in mind, there are people within the group who are widowers. There are, you know, siblings who have, there's 18 people who have died. There's 221 families who have been directly affected. And all we want is answers and we patiently waited. So I can't say whether there should be a commission review because I don't have the document in front of me. But the media seems to be. And um, with the leaks, whoever leaked this, it, it seems to be guidance, but I, I need to read that document and decide for myself, uh, uh, along with the 220 other families directly affected.
4: No doubt. Uh, and no doubt uh, um, it's true to say that uh, the people involved, uh, the likes of Stephen Teep and uh, yourself yes. and the other women uh, who uh, have spoken publicly about this, uh, have uh, had no problem in making the case as strongly uh, as you have uh, to put it top of the agenda, uh, and uh, perhaps government should be mindful of that. Uh, it's going to be a, a long week. It's already been a long week and a week of many surprises. Uh, if there's one thing that you're hoping to hear today, what would that be, Rosie? Uh, I haven't
6: really thought about that. I. It's getting time to sit down and read it Mm. and um, I'm not an expert. Um, I may not understand um, all of the documents so I may need, um, I don't know if Dr Scali is going to be available and talk to us as a group or different groups around the country to explain um, what's within the document. Mm. So uh, maybe I would hope that today there may be a decision to assist us to understand the findings mm. and the recommendations
4: at, at a pace, and at a pace that suits you yes. personally uh, yes. and everybody else involved, and, and, uh, rather than the political uh, agenda, the pace of the political agenda, or what makes front page news.
6: Well, we've waited for months, patiently and as dignified as we could, going to work, going to treatment, dealing with our family lives. So I think we are owed, you know, courtesy and uh, just to be fair and uh, feel a sense of justice. At the moment, I don't feel that that, uh, this has been handled fairly or with dignity Or, or decency. There seems to be a lack of decency. That's how I feel at the moment.
4: OK, Rosie, I hope uh, that changes uh, in the very near future and uh, it's good to talk to you and thank you indeed for taking our call this morning. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. That's uh, Rosie Condra speaking to us uh, from her workplace in our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda. Michael,
3: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
4: FM. Now, the Solidarity People Before Profit Alliance have uh, been meeting uh, this week uh, as well ahead of uh, the next uh, dull term and they say they'll be focusing particularly on housing, abortion legislation, the separation of church and state and precarious work. And Richard Boyd Barrett, People for Profit TD for Dunleary, joins us now. Uh, Good morning and uh, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, Before we get in uh, to domestic policy, uh, tell us a a little bit about your thoughts about Donald Trump uh, this morning. Uh, Is it a lost opportunity his decision not to come here?
2: Certainly not. I think uh, I'm delighted he's not coming. Uh, We were involved from the minute we heard, he might be coming in planning protests along with many other groups, environmentalists, trade unionists, women's rights groups, mm. you, you name it.
4: To make the point, though, uh, uh, and if, he, if he's not here, you don't get the chance to make the point. That's what I mean by asking no, because, you if it's a lost to be honest,
2: It's a distraction. I mean, yeah. we would have to protest because I think him coming here would legitimize his pretty foul agenda on a whole range of issues. Uh, but uh, it is a distraction which we don't need uh, and it was a distraction created by uh, Leo Vradker for inviting him so I'm glad if it's not going to happen although it's not absolutely clear but it appears Mm. it's not going to happen and that will allow us to concentrate on things that do matter.
4: So the protests wouldn't have made a a difference there's a a separate opportunity to protest now because Donald Trump has nominated uh, the next ambassador to Ireland uh, the cabinet uh, is uh, to approve that nomination uh, but uh, should it reject it?
2: Well to be honest I haven't even thought about that I mean I'm less worried about an ambassador I suppose the United States are entitled to have an ambassador here uh, we'll see what he's like uh, or she for that matter uh, although more likely he knowing Donald Trump Um But uh, I think it's Trump himself who really symbolizes the growth of a particularly uh, malign agenda of, you know, environmental destruction, warmongering, racism, uh, misogyny, you name it. Mm. Uh, So we didn't need him here to try and legitimize and encourage Uh, That sort of agenda in this country, as is worryingly happening uh, in many places across the world, Mm -hmm. where the openly far right, uh, you know, political forces are on the rise, and and he's clearly encouraged them. So we didn't need that here, and it's better that we can concentrate on. Uh, I suppose more uh, closer to home issues like there's big protests we're planning on mm-hmm. October the 3rd at the doll over the housing and homelessness crisis. That can, t- you know, yep. we can put a lot of energy into that. The abortion rights demonstration <clears throat> on the 29th of September and the need to get the abortion legislation over the line uh, and many other the health, mm. service, you know absolute dire situation. Health service is a big protest planned for October the 6th on that issue.
4: And we were talking with ICTU uh, and the Raise the Roof uh, campaign uh, about uh, the uh, private motion that you'll be bringing forward and the support that there will be for that and indeed the rally that will take place at lunchtime. But it, it seems as though that's going to happen because it looks as though the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy is going to fall.
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think uh, the it, it's good that the issue is being highlighted mm. in a, in both the Sinn Fein motion and indeed, or you know, the motion that will be taken in our private members' time on October the third. Although it's important to say that that motion is the joint product of work between ourselves, other opposition parties, the ICTU, the National oh. Homeless and Housing uh, Coalition, and a whole range of Women's housing councils. Yeah. To come together? So we want a big united movement demanding public and affordable housing, rent controls, uh, an end to economic evictions into homelessness. Uh, but uh, the the more this issue is pushed to the top of the agenda in the early you know weeks of the new of the new doll uh, hmm. term, the better because it's just dire and but, getting worse.
4: Yeah, but what do you make of the Fianna Fail position that these motions don't build houses?
2: it's true. Replacing Owen Murphy, we Mm. we made this point at our thinking yesterday. We will support the Sinn Féin motion, but quite honestly, it's not just about replacing one minister. It's it's seven years of failed policy. Indeed, to be honest, it's probably about 15 years of failed policy, uh, dating back even to Fianna Fáil Mm. and then Fine Gael Labour and now Fine Fine Gael and the independents, where they, they have reduced and reduced and reduced down to virtually nothing the output of council housing, construction, There's been no affordable housing scheme for the last 10 years, uh, and uh, they have allowed vulture funds and big corporate property speculators to monopolize uh, the property sector. Uh, And the combination of all of those things has brought us to the emergency situation we're in now. So we need a radical change in policy. But you
4: only get that with a change in government, do you not? And a motion of that sort uh, has the potential to force an election and the introduction of a a different administration and the policies that they would bring to the table.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, Sinn Féin have decided to put the motion. Mm. We just said we support it Mm -hmm. because Mm. it's going to be put down. Uh, Our big focus is October the 3rd an a motion which, as I said, is the product of... A big joint coalition, and it's a positive motion, which is saying these are the things that need to change. We need an emergency program of public and affordable housing on public land. We need real rent controls. We need to stop evictions into homelessness. We need uh, NAMAs, land and property, to be used to provide uh, public and affordable housing. Uh, we need to get hold of some of the empty the tens of thousands of empty properties in the country that could be used to house people. So that's what our focus is. But mm. given that there will be a motion no confidence, mm. you know, we couldn't really vote confidence in the current. Uh, government policy or the minister that's overseeing
4: it. But But, given that Fianna Fáil will abstain or whatever way they will support the minister and the government, uh, what would that make you think uh, about uh, the future of uh, this government? It doesn't seem as though there's any prospect of uh, an election.
2: No, there isn't. Um, And uh, as long as Fianna Fáil continue to prop up Fianna Gael, that will be the case. And I think it it does highlight for people that there really isn't, when it gets down to the key issues to face, Mm notwithstanding, you know, the sort of game playing and theatrics that goes on in the doll, there isn't much difference, as we've always said, between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, their okay. p- policies are pretty much the same, and they are ones of essentially, I would say, defending the status quo, and the status quo at the moment is one where we have a dire crisis in housing, in healthcare, in infrastructure, and, as we highlighted yesterday, a huge problem in the area of precarious, low-paid work, uh, Zero hour contracts, you know, so the Mm. government boasts about high levels of of employment, but actually much of that employment is precarious, low paid, uh, and the people who are working don't have enough money at the end of the week or the end of the month to pay their bills.
4: Mm, And quite often because of housing. And issues relating to housing, whether that's uh, the cost of buying a house or renting a a property, as the case may be.
2: Well, that is absolutely. I mean, housing really is at the centre of a whole series of major, major problems. It's a social crisis for those who are homeless or can't buy a house or can't afford the rent. But it is also, uh, as you say, it's linked to the issue of low pay, where wages are not enough to put a roof over the heads of people when you look at uh, rents through the roof, house prices through the roof. But it's also now, I would argue, a major problem for the Irish economy. I mean, we're now beginning to see labour shortages... In a whole number of areas in construction itself, in health, in education, in IT, uh, in some of the uh, sort of, you know, areas where you need scientific qualifications. And that is because an awful lot of our young people coming out of the universities, people uh, with apprenticeships are leaving the country to go elsewhere where they get better paid jobs, better conditions and can afford a roof over their head. So unless we deal with the housing crisis, we're facing uh, multiple, multiple problems.
4: Alright, and we're told uh, that there's limited resources and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are, are meeting to try to agree next year's budget uh, but uh, there are many ways of skinning a, a cat uh, and one of uh, the proposals that has been made uh, in recent years and again this year is taking a look at the reduced VAT rate for the hospitality sector uh, and indeed uh, it's very difficult and always expensive if it's not that difficult to get a, a hotel in this country these days. Uh, you can't get a, a table at a, a restaurant quite often. Uh, is this justifiable anymore?
2: No, it's not. I mean, the, the tourism hospitality sector, particularly in Dublin and some other kind of uh, big areas of tourism, I think is, is, is booming. And I'm glad to see it's booming, but uh, I don't think it's justifiable to have the lower rate uh, of that for people who are making very significant profits. And it's hundreds of millions that could be put into other uh, more pressing uh, areas where we need uh, b- uh, investment and spending. So, no, I don't. But, but I think it goes beyond that. I mean, quite frankly, when you look at both housing, healthcare, the water infrastructure, uh, the need for much more uh, investment in areas like education, uh, what the government are proposing to spend in the next budget is just not enough. Uh, And uh, we need to look for alternative sources of revenue. And one of the things that I think marks us out is that we do believe that some of the big corporations who are making really astonishing profits, I mean, profits that are off the charts in this country are not paying their fair share of tax. Some of them are paying taxes as little as 2 and 1%. Well below the 12.5%, and these tax loopholes that allow that sort of tax avoidance have to be closed down, and that could potentially release billions to invest in housing, health, education, and infrastructure.
4: Okay, there are the arguments, uh, no doubt, uh, that will be made over the coming weeks in the run-up to the budget announcement on the 9th, uh, I think it is. Uh, We'll have an election anyway, uh, regardless of uh, the general election or when that might be held. Uh, But uh, at this stage, uh, there's no presidential candidate uh, that you'd be willing to support?
2: No, I'm not hugely interested or enthusiastic, frankly, about the presidential campaign at the moment. I think... Most of the population have more pressing needs, the ones we've just talked about. Uh, And I do have the feeling it's turning into a bit of a circus in in terms of the uh, candidates. It's really unclear to me why half of these candidates are standing, what exactly their motivation is. It just seems like people jump up in the bed in the morning and decide I want to be president. Uh, So, yeah, there's nothing that's particularly enthusing me at the moment. Uh, about the presidential election and I think all of the candidates really have an obligation to explain exactly what, why they're standing mm. what exactly they think they're going to offer the country
4: including the incumbent president
2: yeah I mean I think Michael D has done a good job don't get me wrong uh, uh, and he would be on the left of the political spectrum I have to be honest and say I find it slightly discommoding that he's now been backed by Finn and Finnegale. Uh, and i don't think anybody should simply inherit a position and i do think he has to explain why he wants a second term when he said he would only have a single term so you know that that's a a serious question for people for him but also for all the candidates they all have to say why they want to be president and what you know what they hope to do what direction they hope to take uh, Ireland in, and there's nothing really that has jumped out at me so far in terms of the candidates
4: that put me All right, listen, thanks uh, for talking to us as always uh, and uh, for your time this morning. Richard Boyd Barrett, People for Profit TD for Dunleary.
3: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
4: FM. It's a very big day for many young people today at about four o'clock this afternoon. 62,500 students are to get their junior certificate exam results and uh, their Parents are being urged to speak to them about alcohol and Miriam Tabor, interim chief executive officer with Drink Aware, is on the line to tell us why. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, I'd have thought that a, a lot of uh, these people who are receiving uh, their junior cert results today are, are minors, uh, good young people getting older as they go, but underage and uh, wouldn't be drinking at this stage.
10: That's absolutely right, Michael. Um, What we have seen, you know, the Junior results, as we know, are a fantastic achievement. And in fact, they're the biggest exams that these um, young people have done in their lives to date. So, of course, they should be celebrated. But as you quite rightly said, most students collecting the results today are around 15 years old, um, the maximum being about 16. So, yes, they are definitely minors, the legal drinking age in Ireland being um, 18 years but I think more than that in terms of a parent's role here is I mean there's a few things so what we're asking parents to do today um, we're trying to say that it's not too late to get involved in your children's plans for celebrating tonight if you haven't already mm. but I think crucially if you have um, Talked about their plans for this evening for how they're going to celebrate, who they're going to be with, their curfew, all those kind of things. Maybe add in the topic of alcohol as well. It's definitely worth adding. It's worth having an open conversation this evening before they head out. You know, not only for yourselves as parents, but also for your young person as well. Because if they know that you are aware that Um, you know, there is that risk factor on a night like tonight. We've seen it. Unfortunately, we're now used to um, junior cert results nights being somewhat synonymous with um, certain experiences of um, underage drinking, um, uh, young people in vulnerable positions because of consuming alcohol at certain events around the country or indeed, you know, outside, wherever it may be in a local community. But I think parents' role here really is to be open. So one of the things that we're trying to say to parents is, you know, the reality is, as they well know, nobody needs to be told this, but 15 is too young to be drinking alcohol and there's many reasons for this. You know... Mm. Not, not least of all the impact that this can have on a young person's development in a range of different ways, um, both now and in the future. So we're talking about things that not everybody will be aware of, like brain development. So, for example, what a lot of people don't realize is, and you know, many adults don't even realize, is that your brain is developing all the way through childhood, teenage years, and into your 20s. So if you introduce alcohol at this time during the teenage years, this means that brain development is impacted and it affects parts of the memory that are really crucial at this stage, or parts of the brain, sorry, that are so crucial Mm -hmm. at this stage of life. So for example, for concentration and learning and memory skills, These are all skills that are absolutely vital to a young person's development. Very, very important.
4: Going on to your leaving, Sir, let alone anything else. Absolutely, Uh,
10: absolutely.
4: Uh, And uh, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of young people who have many reasons to celebrate tonight, and you hope that they'll all celebrate uh, the achievement of completing their certificates. Uh, But I'd have thought that there were a a lot of organised events, non-alcohol events, for junior cert students.
10: Yeah, so this is something that happens every year. There are a range of different events that um, are catered for throughout the country, be they in um, local discos or um, special junior search events that are on that are no alcohol. But I think where alcohol can come into it and has in the past come into it is that um, potentially young people are turning up having already consumed alcohol. So this means it's likely that they... Um, have probably Hmm. consumed alcohol outside of this event or indeed outside of their home. And where are they
4: they getting the alcohol?
10: Well, you see, this is something, I mean, there's a range of different ways where, of course, I'm sure um, many of your listeners can appreciate from their own experiences, a range of different ways that young people can can get alcohol. One of the ways, um, of course, one of the most obvious ways, um, or easiest access is through their own home. So say if their parents have alcohol in the home, you know, it's easily accessible there. You know, so there are things like this. But I suppose, you know, from a young person's point of view, we would really just try and remind them and encourage parents to remind them that, you know, we need to break the norm here that let's not expect that all of these young people are going to be drinking tonight Mm. because the reality of the matter is they're not. In fact, the amount of Irish teenagers that drink alcohol before the age of 18 is actually decreasing Mm. in recent years, which is really, really encouraging to see.
4: And I'm sure we'll see photographs in in the papers uh, tomorrow morning, uh, which will be uh, shocking uh, uh, and uh, will be worrying for a lot of parents uh, because it's the same every year after the results. But I think the vast majority of young people uh, will be celebrating in a a responsible way way.
10: I would agree with that absolutely because I mean we've conducted in the past our own research with junior search aid students so these are exactly the types of students that are um, receiving the results today and I think one of the key findings that we saw was that over 90% of students surveyed were actually looking for ways um, to not drink alcohol so they wanted to find out about alternatives to alcohol so I think this is a trend that we're seeing with young people certainly over the past five to ten years is that, you know, young people aren't drinking as, as young as they used to. But I think one thing that is still of concern to many parents, and certainly at DrinkAware we're concerned about this, is that while the number of young people who are drinking is decreasing... The amount and the volume that they're drinking is still significantly higher than say their equivalent in um, Europe, different and countries in Europe it,
4: is, it, is it higher if you leave them to their own devices? I mean at 15 they're still children but you can't really tell them what to think uh, let alone what to do on some occasions uh, unless you lock them up and that's not realistic. So I mean if you leave them to their own devices and they're grabbing a, a bottle of vodka out of your drinks cabinet and drinking it up in the field before to go to the non-alcohol uh, event Is that not worse than letting them have a couple of beers uh, as something that you've organised?
10: So I suppose there's a few things here. And of course, a lot of parents um, are likely to have organised events either in their own home or with a number of parents getting together this evening. Um, And, you know, there will be cases where young people have, have... Pay, you know, potentially have taken alcohol from their parents' cabinets or things like that. So these things will happen. We know they will happen. But I think what we've seen is that the kind of just say no approach doesn't necessarily work. You know, teenagers are going to do what teenagers do, and that's pushing boundaries um, with their parents' rules. But I think one of the crucial things is... To talk to your children openly instead of the, you can't do this, you can't go there, it's to talk to them. You know, there's many young people this evening who may be around um, alcohol with their friends for the first time. And, you know, that could be quite unnerving for a child who's 15 years old, who maybe doesn't know, isn't quite confident enough to be able to stick to their decision if they say no to their friend I don't want any alcohol you know it can be hard in these situations we know peer pressure is um, you know this is a absolute key time for peer pressure mm-hmm. but I think one of the things that we would say to parents is and it came out in our research is about parental supply of alcohol in the home so what we hear from parents across the country at our workshops that we deliver is you know it's a really common thing but Am't I better giving them a few drinks in the house than having them drink outside of the home where wherever it may be? And I suppose, well, this is every parent's decision for themselves. you know every parent knows their own, you know how they feel about this, but what we would say is the evidence shows and consistently shows that um, young uh, children who were introduced to alcohol in the home in a supervised, controlled environment by their parents are just as likely to binge drink um, and drink to excess outside okay. of the home.
4: We'll leave it on that message, Miriam, because I've run out of time. And thank you for your time and for joining us this morning. Miriam Tabor, Interim Chief Executive Officer with DrinkAware.ie brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.